This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith and I am The Alarmist. everyone thanks for tuning into the alarmist a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest disasters and figure out who's to blame today we'll be talking about the space shuttle challenger disaster here's what you need to know the space shuttle challenger disaster is one of the deadliest events in nasa's history the challenger was nasa's second space shuttle to enter service on april 4th 1983 and it made a total of nine voyages before its final one in 1986. The goal of Mission 51L was to launch the second tracking and data relay satellite into space. It would also shuttle the first teacher in space, Krista McAuliffe, who would conduct lesson plans from orbit and spend the subsequent months lecturing students across the United States. After an extensive search that started in 1984, Krista had won a national screening that was set up to highlight the importance of teachers and encourage students to get interested in high-tech careers. The other members of the crew aboard Challenger Mission 51L would be Commander Francis Scobie, Pilot Michael Smith, Astronaut Judith Resnick, the second woman to ever go to space, Astronaut Ronald McNair, the second African-American to ever go to space, Astronaut Ellison Onizuka, the first Asian-American to ever go to space, and Hughes Aircraft Engineer Gregory Jarvis. T-minus 21 seconds and the solid uh, rocket booster engine gimbal now underway. T-minus 15 seconds. Shuttle mission 51L was scheduled to launch on January 22, 1986, but due to weather, the mission was delayed six days until January 28th. On that day, liftoff took place at 11.38 a.m. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. We have main engine start, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. 
Everything appeared to be normal as the shuttle left the launch pad. Spectators, including family and friends of the crew, cheered, and news cameras filmed the shuttle as it flew farther up into the sky. So the 25th space shuttle mission is now on the way after more delays than NASA cares to count. It wasn't until after the vehicle emerged from Max-Q, the period of greatest aerodynamic pressure, that Mission Control told SCOBY, Challenger, go with throttle up. Challenger, go with throttle up. Seconds later, pilot Michael Smith uttered the words, uh-oh, and the crew's breathing supplies were activated. Just then, at an altitude of 46,000 feet, 73 seconds after liftoff, the shuttle lurched and then broke up into flames. Suddenly, all communication between the shuttle and the ground was lost. Looks like a couple of the uh, solid rocket boosters uh, blew away from the side of the shuttle in an Spectators and mission controlled watched in disbelief as the aircraft broke apart and the two solid rocket boosters continued flying in opposite directions until NASA personnel were able to destroy them by remote control. The crew compartment of the shuttle continued in an upward trajectory until it reached 65,000 feet for about 25 seconds. We have absolutely no sign at all of the shuttle itself. All we saw was that one explosion only about a minute into the flight. And we saw the solid rocket booster. Now here's something coming down. I don't know what that is. Then it began to descend at a speed of 207 miles an hour for a period that lasted about 2 minutes and 45 seconds until it hit the ocean's surface. I hope they were able to survive. I hope the We have no downlink. We have a report from the flight dynamics officer that the vehicle has exploded. Flight director confirms that. We are looking at uh, checking with the recovery forces to see uh, what can be done at this point. The force imposed by the impact was about 200 times the force of gravity. After the disaster, debris fell into the Atlantic Ocean for over an hour. An immediate search revealed no sign of the crew. Months later, NASA announced that the shuttle's crew compartments had been retrieved from the ocean floor and the remains of the seven Challenger astronauts had been recovered. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats In 1986, NASA was in the business of shuttle launching at a rapid rate. During this time, there was about one shuttle launch per month. Not many people saw the Challenger disaster live on television, Because it took place around 11.30 in the afternoon, most people were at work or school. And while CNN was broadcasting live, network news stations were not covering the launch. That said, NASA had arranged a satellite broadcast onto TV sets in many schools because of Krista McAuliffe's role in the mission. Many school children who watched in horror remember the disaster as a pivotal moment in their childhoods. Crew member Gregory Jarvis was one of two Hughes aircraft employees selected as candidates for the space shuttle program. Jarvis was originally scheduled to make a shuttle flight in April of 1985, but his spot on the flight was replaced by U.S. Senator Jake Garn. His flight was rescheduled for early January 1986, but he was again replaced, this time by U.S. Representative Bill Nelson. He was finally slotted to take flight on the Challenger just days before. Although it looked like an explosion, and the media called it an explosion, the Challenger did not in fact explode. What news cameras actually caught on tape was the aircraft engulfed in a cloud of fire caused by the fuel tank collapsing and tearing apart, then resulting in a flood of liquid oxygen and hydrogen. This created a huge fireball that was believed by many to be an explosion. Later on, some of the TV stations showing footage of the accident added the sound of an explosion. This is why many people recall hearing it explode. The cause of death of the seven people on board is unknown. The crew was still strapped in their seats when they were found. A NASA medical report concluded that it, quote, is possible but not certain that the crew lost consciousness due to an in-flight loss of crew module pressure. In the aftermath of the tragedy, President Reagan, who had his State of the Union address scheduled for later that day, postponed his annual message to the nation. 
This was the first and only time in history a president has done so. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd planned to speak to you tonight to report on the State of the Union. But the events of earlier today have led me to change those plans. Today is a day for mourning and remembering. Nancy and I are pained to the core by the tragedy of the shuttle Challenger. We know we share this pain with all of the people of our country. This is truly a national loss. So with us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Hello, Rebecca. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And a very special guest, a friend of mine, Rebecca Johnson. Another Rebecca, people. Can you handle it? She's, you know, a very accomplished comedian and actress and writer. Uh, Rebecca, R-E-B-E-K-K-A Johnson. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) Now we have to talk about this terrible, terrible tragedy. Uh, The Challenger, which, you know, we've seen the images. We've heard about it. But like many things in history, there are so many details that get lost and that's why it's good to re uh, what do you, what do you say rehash it revisit, revisit yeah. revisit rehash dig up dig up old history and make sure that the person who's to blame knows they're to blame mm-hmm. well we have a custom here at the alarmist Amanda and I whenever we've put someone in the alarmist jail we make sure we shoot them an email to let them know that they're <laughs> nice <laughs> and if it's in terms of a concept you can just make up an email and uh, email address make one for them and then we'll just shoot them an email <laughs> It's about the ritual. Publicity stunts at AOL.com. <laughs> yeah, usually exactly. one of the yeah, usually one of the email servers is open. If it's not AOL, it'll be Hotmail or. Um, this is the most interesting part of this episode. Yes, I'm sure. yes. Chris just listing off all email servers. <laughs> yeah. So let's yeah. get started and let's get down to business. We got to talk about the O rings. Now, the O-rings were... Oh, uh-oh. The O-rings, exactly. <laughs> to make each solid rocket booster, the Morton uh, Thickle Factory, which is the company outsourced by NASA to make the rocket boosters, built four hull segments filled with powdered aluminum fuel and uh, uh, um, ammonium perchlorate, which is the oxidizer. Obviously. Uh, yes. At the launch site. <laughs> At the launch site, the, the fuel segments were then assembled vertically. So it gets built at the launch site and field joints containing rubber O-ring seals were installed between each fuel segment. The O-rings were never tested in extreme cold. Now, on the morning of the launch, it was particularly cold at Cape Canaveral. And so on the morning, the cold rubber... They become stiff as as happens like when you uh, if you have ever put anything in the freezer, like a rubber thing in the freezer, it kind of like gets hard. Yeah. Like when you put your condoms in the freezer and they crack when you're having sex. (laughs) Right. That's why they advise uh, not to do that. Yeah. Keep those at room temp. There's no better feeling than an ice cold condom. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) From history.com, the O-ring was known to be sensitive to cold and could only work properly above 53 degrees. Temperatures on the launch pad that morning were 36 degrees. And now we're going to talk to Alan McDonald, aerospace consultant and author of Truth, Lies, and O-rings Inside the Space Shuttle Challenger Disaster. Alan was also an engineer at Morton Thiekel at the time of the disaster and was the person who warned NASA personnel about the potential O-ring failure, but whose warnings went unheard. Can, can you explain to us the function of the O-rings? The O-rings, uh, these boosters, solid rocket boosters, are so large. They're 12 feet in diameter, and... Uh, they have about 300,000 pounds of solid propellant in each section. So there's four sections that actually make one solid rocket booster. And they're made back here in Utah and put on rail cars and sent as segments all the way to the Kennedy Space Center, where they are stacked on the mobile launch platform, just like you would stack up beer cans on top of each other. But every place you put one beer can on another one, that is uh, one segment on top of the other. There's a joint there. It's called a tang and clevis joint. Uh, 
very much to the tongue and groove joint in a hardwood floor, or one slap piece slips into the other. The difference is here that this has to also have a gas seal. So there's two O-ring grooves in the clevis part of the joint that contain these fluorocarbon rubber O-rings that are 12 feet in diameter to make sure that the gas can't get out of the joint if it ever gets there. And in each one of these joints, there's two of these O-rings for redundancy. So that if one fails, the other one should pick it up to make it safer. And this was a requirement in the shovel. The problem that we had found was one year earlier in January 1985, uh, a flight, that flight of January, just one year before Challenger, when we, we recover these boosters under parachutes out in the ocean after they burn up their propellant. And we send them back to Utah to reload them with propellant. But when we pulled them apart, we saw something we had never seen before. And what we saw was a huge amount of black soot trapped between the two O-rings, meaning that some hot gas got past the first O-ring called the primary, but stopped by the sec second O-ring called the secondary. And it was very thick, and it went almost all the way around the circumference of this joint. And we saw that in one joint on each booster on each side. We'd never seen this, and we couldn't understand why that happened. We thought maybe there was some manufacturing defects or assembly problems. We went through all the history, and the only thing we found that we thought probably caused it was that was the coldest launch we'd ever had in the shuttle program, 53 degrees at that time, and that we felt the O-rings were starting to get stiff and therefore didn't seal as well as they should when this joint starts to open, expands a bit when it gets pressurized. And so that was why the engineers really recommended we don't launch at any temperature below that because this was kind of a scary thing. It didn't cause any failure, and we still had one good O-ring, but they didn't feel comfortable going below that, and they did not know how far we could go before it could not seal at all. Hear the rest of our incredible conversation with Alan McDonald on Thursday's Aftermath. Why did NASA launch at all? Well, and did you ever hear about the guy who was an engineer, Bob Ebeling, and like four other engineers that kept writing letters to NASA, like to their bosses, saying that the O-rings were not going to hold up? I don't understand if a bunch of people are saying, hey, guys, this isn't going to hold up. And then NASA knew that they might not hold up. Why would you take that risk? Like, that's just sickening. Maybe they take risks like that all the time and then they work out fine. And maybe that's what it is with space travel. First, let's put cold temperatures and O-rings up on the board. Can we call them uh O-rings, uh please? That's right. Based on the report, that's literally how it happened. Let's get to talking about the Morton Thickle Company. They are the company that manufactures the Space Shuttle's solid fuel booster rockets. The Rogers Commission report, which was the, the report that was done after the disaster, uh, they say on the accident that the engineers at Thickle also were increasingly concerned about the problem. This is what uh, you're talking about, Rebecca. On July 22, 1985, Roger Boisgeli wrote a memorandum predicting NASA might give the motor contract to a competitor or there might be a flight failure if Thickle did not come up with a timely solution. So nine days later, July 31st, which is uh, half a year, six months before this accident, uh, Boisgeli wrote another memorandum titled O-Ring Erosion Slash Potential Failure criticality. And it says that the mistakenly accepted position on the joint problem was to fly without fear of failure and to run a series of design evaluations, which would ultimately lead to a solution or at least a significant reduction of the erosion problem. So this concept of fly without fear of failure. And he goes on to say, this position is now changed as a result of the 
51B nozzle joint erosion, which eroded a secondary O-ring with the primary O-ring never sealing. If the same scenario should occur in a field joint, and it could, then it is a jump ball whether as to the success of or failure of the joint because the secondary O-ring cannot respond to the clevis opening rate and may not be capable of pressurization. The result would be a catastrophe of the highest order loss of human life. The thing that I feel like is that once people are alerting, sending memorandums with the subject line like that, like where you're like, it's so clear that there's a problem in cold weather with these O-rings. And then when you're faced with the coldest weather in Florida at that time on the day of launch, that just seems like a no-brainer to say, let's push it back. What What is kind of happening is that these engineers are going to their higher-ups and saying, there's a problem. And the higher-ups are essentially saying, if you can't prove that it's going to be a, a, a disaster, then we're still going to go forward. So it's like... Can we put on like corporate red tape on the board? Sure. I mean, I, I want to put this company up because, okay, so this is where it gets... not even suspicious. It's like blatantly, obviously, there's something going on that's wrong. There's an LA Times article that comes out after the explosion, and they say demotions and reassignments were disclosed Wednesday affecting the Morton Thickle Incorporated executives who approved the launch of the Space Shuttle Challenger over the safety concerns of their engineering engineering staff at corporate headquarters here a morton thickle spokesman said that the reorganization was a design to deal with the crisis caused by the shuttle's crash on january 28th calvin wiggins who is the general manager of the company's utah-based space division jerry mason who's the senior vice president of the operations and robert lund amanda lund it, who's, That's my father's name. <laughs> oh my god! Really? <laughs> oh my god! Mm-hmm. Did he work at? Is Morton he an Pickle? engineer? Uh, honestly, I don't know a lot about his past. <laughs> <laughs> well, Robert Lund is the vice president of engineering. Now he's never mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is the twinkle that inspired him to have Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it goes on to say that it was Wiggins, Mason, and Lund along with the vice president of the company, who overruled the safety warnings raised by rocket engineers the night before the Challenger was launched. In a heated meeting at the Utah rocket plant on the eve of the launching, the engineers had recommended delaying Challenger's schedule, um, scheduled morning liftoff on January 28th because they feared that the sub-freezing temperatures the night before could damage rubber seals on the giant booster rockets. Investigators now believe one of the seals failed. According to subsequent testimony before the Presidential Commission investigation, Mason advised Lund and the others to, quote, take off your engineering hat and put on your management hat. After listening to nearly an hour of arguments, from a dozen engineers. What kind of hats do they wear in jail? Because he needs to put that hat on. They're striped. (laughs) They make your your head look really fat. So we have to put those three, the three managers, up on the board, like, absolutely. That's right. And that that president, that vice president. Yeah, I, I I think we should. So their names are Wiggins, Mason, Lund, and Kill Minister. Rebecca, I have a question. So did these concerns about the O-rings ever make it to NASA? Great question, Amanda. NASA, according to the Presidential Commission report on the accident, NASA's reaction to tests that confirmed damage to the ceiling rings was to, quote, increase the amount of damage considered acceptable. So what we need to lower our standards instead, (laughs) essentially is what they're saying. According to a New York Times article called NASA Cuts or Delayed Safety Spending, the space agency cut or delayed half a billion dollars in spending on safety testing, design and development from the time the shuttle program began to when the Challenger exploded in January, uh, according to federal audits. By 1976, the shuttle had become a, quote, higher risk program in terms of economics and performance than conceived. The transition from the Apollo era experts familiar with the history of NASA 
says problems at its headquarters in Washington and 16 other space centers began shortly after the agency reached its founding goal of landing men on the moon in 1969. And after the administrator who led NASA there, James Webb, resigned after eight years in office. There was a distinct change after Mr. Webb left said Elmer uh, B. Stats, who from 1966 to 81 was the U.S. Comptroller General. And he says, Mr. Webb was a good manager. He put together a good team, but afterwards there was less openness, less willingness to listen to the kind of challenges we were making. It was an institutional thing. It was a whole system. Okay, well, so some NASA's got to go. NASA's got to go, and I think we need to put bad man like bad management skills following the land. I mean, do we put the 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 landing on the moon? Uh, I mean, <laughs> it triggered it I triggered was, them to stop uh, being uh, like I guess as careful as careful. Yeah, I also think because wasn't the day of the launch the day of the State of the Union that Reagan was going to give, and it made me wonder. Did Reagan, like, say, you guys better fucking do it so that I could talk about it today? And if you don't, your budget's cut more. Like, I haven't found any evidence. Uh, well, conspiracy theory. It, it, it's a conspiracy theory. Going back to the NASA question, which you were asking, Amanda, about, like, did, did, the, um, did the higher-ups know? Apparently, it didn't. The Rogers Commission report has an org chart of uh, NASA that describes all the levels. So level one is like the CEO and level two is the vice CEO, et cetera. And the engineers are like at level five, according to them. And the report says that the info about the engineers being nervous about the O-rings never made it past level four. So the middle managers found out about it, but didn't pass the information upwards. Okay, but I, I think going back to putting NASA on the board, a way to say that might be company culture at NASA. Oh, I like that. And it seems like they got cocky, like, because they were like, did this big thing. And then they were like, great, we've done it. And then they were, st- and they had been launching lots of rockets, right, uh-huh. at this time period. So they were just a little too cocky to make sure that they were like super safe. Yeah, they needed a, a cold condom. They needed a cold condom <laughs> to, to make relax. them understand. Yeah, to chill out. Yeah, so relaxing. <laughs> the most relaxing. This is the most explicit uh, episode we've ever recorded. <laughs> but, uh, it, it, yeah, I, I think that w- we need to look at the bigger picture, too, at, at what's happening right now. And there's two things. There's the, these launch delays that are constantly happening and you're right they're upping the amount of shuttles that they're sending out into space in in january 12 1986 this is 16 days prior to the challenger there's another shuttle the uh columbia is is set is going to launch and they've endured six scrubbed launch attempts and uh lifted off on the seventh try so this is just 16 days prior. They've endured so many delays. Now, according to a, a, an analysis that came out in 2007, repeated stalls aren't just frustrating, but expensive. For every one-day scrub, when a shuttle mission is called off after the external tank has been loaded with fuel, NASA spends about $1.3 million. Over time, repeated delays can have a ripple effect across NASA later uh, shuttle mis- missions since the launch schedule must sometimes shift to accommodate a difficult flight. So the lo- Challenger's launch from Kennedy Space Center-, Center at Cape Canaveral was delayed for six days due to weather and its, and its technical problems. It was on track to be another costly and embarrassing launch. We could call it the pressure to launch. And there's a it lot is. of pressures. Yeah. yeah, there's financial pressures. There's like yeah. embarrassment. There's future. Even thinking about the future of the whole NASA, that if everything keeps getting delayed and spending so much money, maybe they're not going to get as much money from the government. So plus, what I'm about sure there's this, a lot of pressure. What about these students waiting for their teacher? Like they're just sitting there in their classroom. There's no teacher. <laughs> yeah, there. substitute teachers. <laughs> yeah, <She's, where laughs> that substitute she? teacher is costing them a lot of money. That substitute. Yeah, Chris That's is right. not in class. Right. But what I like about failure pressure to launch, I'm sorry, is the the it's it's kind of phallic. 
which kind of um, <laughs> uh, goes with what Rebecca was saying, where, where mm-hmm. it's very male dominant. NASA culture at this time is very male dominant, especially yeah, in mission they, controls. Two more important things. America's boredom with space flight, question mark. According to History.com, by January of 1986, America was already bored with spaceflight. It was, in part, NASA's own fault. The government agency had debuted the space shuttle program five years earlier with an aggressive public relations message that the reusable vehicles would make access to space both affordable and routine. Project frequency, uh, more than 50 flights a year. 50 flights a year! Had spaceflight become too routine? Television coverage slacked. Missions to conduct research, repair satellites, and build the International Space Station failed to ignite popular imaginations the way a moon landing had. For many Americans, shuttle flights carried little of the bravado and romance of the Apollo era. So I'm putting it as spaceship, more like snooze ship. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) But like, they, no wonder they were like, trying to put a teacher up in space. Like they were just like being like, how can we make it flashy again? How can we make people care? What are the implications of people not caring on NASA, like reducing funding? It's all about a bottom line. It's like when they tried to, uh, in hockey, they, there was a time where they, the broadcasts, the puck would glow. It was like a way to get people to watch. Or it's like you make these small adjustments in order to appease, play to a wider audience and make more money. And that's what NASA is right. doing, basically, because people just aren't excited by science. To me, it's noble that they're trying to make space exploration a priority. I actually think that's really cool. Um, it just sounds like they got off... They got off track, but isn't what they wanted to do with the reusable rockets? Isn't that what just happened with the SpaceX NASA launch that we just had like a week ago? Well, yeah. Now the because the SpaceX ones before they parts of the shuttle would fall into the ocean and be gone forever, and now there's like tracking in it so they could get it back. Like so, then it, it's it would be even further, um, like more reusable than what it was then. Like what they have now. That's how they're making it cheaper. I mean, and who knows? This is a whole other thing. But with now that it's like a corporate thing, like are they are they safer or are they less safe? Because there's so much more about the bottom line. Who knows? Well, we did learn about this uh, in the Hillsborough um, disaster, where uh, uh, Pat was talking to us about how like corporations are more afraid of getting sued. And so they're more likely to actually cover their tracks. Mm. Not saying that the, you know, government, um, well, and also this is the 80s. I think nowadays corporations are even more afraid of being sued and they're way more careful. I think in the 80s, which was also when the, the Hillsborough uh, disaster happened, um, they, it, was, it was a little bit more lax. Okay, so Rebecca, you said you have one more to throw up on the board. I do, and it's lesson plans. (laughs) Now, uh, NASA was relying heavily on the PR factor of sending a teacher into space, so much so that they may have influenced their decision to launch on Tuesday rather than on Wednesday, despite the safety concerns. According to the mission plan, Krista, uh, Krista McAuliffe, would broadcast a lesson live from orbit on the fourth day in space. A Tuesday launch meant that a Friday broadcast would happen, but a Wednesday launch meant that a Saturday broadcast with no students in school would happen. NASA needed the publicity of her broadcast. So it's all like a a lesson plans gone wrong... Lesson plans gone wild. Gone wild. You can also blame the school system for not having school on Saturdays. And then there was this other uh, factor that you were mentioning, Rebecca, which was that uh, it was a political reason. Not only was it publicity, but political, but it was because uh, Reagan, President Reagan, was due to mention McAuliffe and and announce that she was going to be the first teacher in space. In, in his State of the Union address, which was going to be on Tuesday night. So if the launch was delayed, NASA would miss out on another big public mention. Yeah, I think publicity, 
Publi- I mean, is we literally just or one sent of the publicity things. stunts to jail. Right. Last so you can't week. send it again. Well, no, we can. No, we we can. We double can. jeopardy. There's no double jeopardy. Okay, <laughs> Not here. <laughs> I don't know what the laws are <laughs> of Erios. <laughs> yeah, no, Erios loves double jeopardy. Okay, great. <laughs> um. Okay. Interesting. So we got to put Reagan up on the board. Reagan. Yeah. I mean, I know that is that is a conspiracy theory. It's no one, there's no transcript of Reagan calling NASA like, hey, you got to do this launch right now. That would be the first thing to be destroyed. (laughs) Of course, there's no transcript of that. (laughs) You think he'd leave that transcript out there for everyone to read? Yeah. (laughs) I have one, one other concept, which is question phrasing. So the day before the launch, the managers were asked, asked the engineers, what temperature would it be safe to launch this at? And the engineers came back and said 53 degrees. That's where it would be safe to launch. And then the managers who were pissed off because it was scheduled to be 38 degrees said, okay. And they rephrased their question to basically say, what point would it be extremely dangerous to, or like what, what point would be, and I think you put it in here. Some it's called something like failure, like at, at what degrees would it be like guaranteed failure right, or something? Uh-huh. So they shifted the phrasing of the question in order to accommodate their desired outcome. That was what that was what Alan McDonald, one of the engineers, explained in this documentary that we watched. Mm-hmm. So I would lay the blame at this very specific phrasing. The, the question. The phrasing of that particular question. The phrasing of that particular question to me seemed to accommodate their desired outcome. Um, Sneaky phrasing. These guys are middle managers and like people in the middle are the ones most nervous of their bosses and the pressure. And so they must have been under such immense pressure not to like go up the chain, not to get past four with a problem. And that's probably why they were like, okay, how can we... Like, only if the engineers are like, it's a 100% chance of failure, will we go up to level three or level two or level, you know what I mean? Right. Like, they they were under such pressure. Yeah. Maybe one of them, maybe one of them just bought a house. Maybe another one just had a baby. <laughs> we'll never know. You never know. <laughs> yeah. I, this is making me think of Chernobyl, too. It's like, uh, yeah. Uh, right. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, and so now I think let's transition to plucking things off the board. Right. Let's do it. Challenger explosion. Who's to blame? The ut o rings cold temperatures, corporate red tape, Morton Thickle managers, NASA company culture, bad management skills, pressure to launch, spaceship more like snooze ship, aka the growing <laughs> boredom with NASA, mm-hmm. lesson plans, and sneaky questioning. Oh, I want to add here, it's not just bad management skills. I, I think it should be middle management skills. Um, yeah, I think we can fold in the red tape. I think we can remove. Yes. Um, I, I think we can. To me, I think we can O-rings um, and cold weather. I think I feel like maybe one of those could get the big slap. But to me, I don't think... There's other people here that are more culpable. They're just doing their thing. And other people were like, hey, that's not their function. Right. You know, it's like if I was if I was trying to eat my vacuum, it's not my vacuum's fault. <laughs> I choke. <laughs> oh, my God. That's such a great metaphor. That is a perfect metaphor. So relatable. I mean, so relatable. So, so relatable. Um, let's, yeah, you're right. I think we take the rings and the cold temps. They're getting away with it. Uh, lucky ducks. Cool with it. <laughs> So we've still got the Morton Thickle uh, managers, the, the top people. We've got yeah, I mean, NASA company culture, which instills fear, I guess, in the middle management and which, uh, you know, transparency isn't, isn't of utmost importance, right? Mm-hmm. Bad management skills in general. I think we can fold bad management skills into uh, NASA company culture, right? Yeah, and do we want to call it just middle management? I know I keep saying the word middle management. To me, the the guys who signed off at Morton Thickle, like not listening to their engineers, but signed off anyway. Those aren't middle managers. Those guys. No, were, no, no. Those are the 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 top CEOs. I'm talking NASA middle management who just didn't run it up the ladder. The, yeah. the information they were getting up about they were getting about the mm. O rings. Oh, so those Morton Thickles are not part of the one, two, three, four, five. That, yes, exactly. Ah, they're yeah. They're so hired. I see. Yeah, uh, you know what? I so I think NASA in general as a company can just be up on the board. I still like NASA company culture because to me, if you're having communication blocks in your ladder, that goes into yeah either NASA as a whole or NASA company culture at the time. Okay, right, and because you can't put all the blame on the middle management because there's a reason why they didn't go higher. And that, to me, is company culture, which comes from the top. Yeah. So it has to be sort of in there. Yeah. You know, it's like my famous saying goes, shit trickles down. Right. Yeah. We'll put that on a shirt. It's ironic to be talking about trickling down during a thing about the 1980s, because that was the whole thing they love talking about. (laughs) Trickle down. Um, So we still have lesson plans. The spaceship, more like snooze ship, so just America being bored. Uh, The pressure to launch, the money it's causing, and the sneaky question, as well as NASA and uh, the Morton Thickle people. I think the pressure to launch is, like, really valid because it comes from so many different angles. Yeah. And I I think you could take off 
the snooze ship and the lesson plans, because I think those are coming from the pressure to launch. Yeah, they kind of fold in. The lesson plans definitely fold into the pressure to launch. That's just an aspect Mm -hmm. of that. And then, you know, wanting to make it sexier for people to uh, watch live streaming of of these liftoffs is more, again, pressure to launch. Why didn't they send playmates? to space if they wanted to make it sexy. They needed you. Uh, you needed to be part of NASA, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> in I fact, been brainstorming. You might get calls from NASA. Yeah. JPL is like right around the corner. Right. Uh. <laughs> so we have four left. Remember, we need to figure out who gets the big slap as well. We've got NASA company culture, Morton Thickle, uh, higher ups, Pressure to launch and sneaky questioning. I think we could take sneaky questioning off. Okay. Yeah, I think it folds in. I, I agree with that. I agree. For me, the pressure to launch kind of encompasses NASA a little bit. I mean, I, I don't want to take the blame away from NASA because I feel like NASA has more is more to blame, right? But what well, I think it's it? the I feel like the Morton Fickle managers to me are the big the the ones to blame and the they go to they should go to jail. They had one job, right? Yeah. And and you can't pretend that O rings are gonna work in the cold when they don't. Yeah, you're right. And you can't just like uh cow cowtail? Is that cowtail? Cowtail. Cowtail. <laughs> cowtail is what I said. Yeah. Um, you can't cowtail yourself. <laughs> you can't sheepskin it. <laughs> to, uh, I don't know what anyone's talking about right now. Well, you can't rabbit nose this thing. You just got to. <laughs> yeah, you just got to pig ear it. You got to pig ear it. You got to go give the goat. You have to give the goat yoga. the milk that it wants. You have yeah. to give the goat yeah, the milk that it wants. You have to take goat yoga. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been wanting to try that. <laughs> um, yeah, you can't. You have to stand your own. You have to trust your employees. You hired them for a reason. Yeah, and you you can't just be like, oh NASA, I don't want them to get mad at me. Uh, yeah, it'll work. No, you have your job is to make sure that rocket booster works. So. If you suspect it can't, it's it falls on you. Yeah, it's NASA's going to be a lot more mad when a bunch of people die. Yeah, come on, that's right. But I think that the pressure to launch kind of folds into that. So then, so then, I think that we give Morton Thickle, we send them to jail, and we give pressure to launch the big slap. NASA gets away with I it. I like that. Or does NASA get the big slap? Mm, that could work too. That could work too. But I mean, I think you could make an argument for either one because pressure to launch encompasses, encompasses Na- uh, NASA's company culture at the time. It could be whichever one. What do we like? The, I always go back to the visual. Mm-hmm. Maybe the visual of, I don't know what it looks like to slap the pressure to launch. I'm just thinking of the rom com failure to launch. Yeah. With <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker. I think you're right, Amanda. Uh, now I think we should give NASA every single person at okay. NASA in, ni- in 1986. 1986. <laughs> the big slap. The, the higher ups. Slapped. Yeah. Yeah. Higher ups. Anything before yeah. uh, over like level four. They should have done something about that O-ring concern. They really should have. They had the yeah. warnings. They had the warnings. They had the time. They, they put it up. They did not prioritize that. I'm going to call it NASA. You're getting the big slap. Morton Thickle, you're going to the alarmist jail. Oof. Yikes. Those are going to be some rough emails that they're going to get. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think the company no longer exists. Good. Yeah. They're lucky. <laughs> lucky them. Lucky them. Exactly. <laughs> but if they did, I think they'd have an AOL account. We can also... You know, we'll contact the Secretary of State, we'll form a corporation, you know, we'll reform the corporation, we'll reactivate it, and then we'll put him in jail. Mm. We have the time, we have the energy, we have the resources. (laughs) That's (laughs) That's all you need, Amanda. After the disaster, NASA shelved plans to fly civilians in space, such as teachers or journalists, for the next 22 years. It wasn't until 2007 that Barbara Morgan, who was McCullough's backup, flew aboard the Endeavour. On September 29, 1988, 
Over two years after the Challenger disaster, NASA put its next space shuttle into flight. The space shuttle Discovery landed safely four days later. According to History.com, America's relationship with spaceflight would be harder to fix. Challenger was the beginning of the end in a lot of ways. The nation that had watched NASA land men on the moon just 11 years after its inception expected a space station, Mars missions, and even space tourism in short order. Instead, it got a problematic vehicle that failed to deliver on its promises and a harsh reminder that spaceflight isn't air travel. It may never be truly routine, and the average person may never have the chance to see Earth from orbit. you think is to blame by going to the alarmistpodcast.com follow us at the alarmist the on twitter at the alarmist podcast on instagram or email us at the at gmail.com tune in next week we'll be discussing the death of che guevara Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.